0: Good morning again. We're in Exodus 19 this morning, and we're doing a little series on this thing called the covenant that God gave to Moses for Israel. So I want to talk, begin that this morning. Um, but I also want to mention again, when I'm putting my notes together, I put all the scriptures in that come to mind. Most of them, it's a lot, so I don't cover them. But if there's, if you wanna, want my notes, uh, just email me and I'll send them to you so you, you can... You don't have to memorize all the verses I've given you, okay? So uh, Exodus 19, would you stand? I'm going to read just the first six verses. We'll do a little responsive reading, and then we'll get into it. So Exodus 19, God's covenant desire. Next, We're going to cover these things on the covenant over the next uh, three four, four weeks total. So in Exodus 19 this morning. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, On the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And then in Psalm 25, the first 14 verses of the psalm, I'll read the first and odd if you would follow reading the second and even together. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, and your, on your, life and on your life. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness' sake... O Lord, the 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 humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Even this this psalm is just packed with simple truths that are so amazing. Your mercy, your truth, you're teaching us, you're leading us, you're guiding us, you're forgiving us. We love you, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name that you give us ears to hear the word of God this morning as you speak to us. We believe you are. We ask, Lord, for anyone that's among us, watching or here, that doesn't know you. We pray, Lord, you'd speak to their hearts this morning. They would turn their lives over to you through repentance and faith in this wonderful thing called the New Covenant, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please, give us ears to hear what the Spirit's saying. The things I prepared, break them fresh for this time right now in your word. Feed us, Lord, we are hungry to know you, to serve you, to be faithful to you, to trust you in everything that's going on in our lives. So please bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So three things in this particular chapter on God's covenant desire. Three things. God's desire to speak to them. God's desire to meet with them. God's desire for them to know him. You can personalize that if you'd like, which we will this morning. God's desire is to speak to you. God's desire is to meet with you. And God's desire is that you will know him. And God has more in store for us as we walk with him. So in Exodus 19 here, as we begin in the third month, the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. On the same day, came to the wilderness of Sinai. They departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, camped in the wilderness, so Israel camped there before the mountain. Now, the interesting thing here, the fun thing, is that God was anticipating this meeting. In fact, when when Moses met him, when he met Moses, I should say, in the burning bush in in Exodus chapter 3, which we've studied, God told Moses there in Exodus three eleven, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses is kind of arguing with God as we've studied back a while ago. So he said, I will God said, he will certainly, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the children of Israel, the people out of Israel, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God's been waiting to have the meeting, waiting for Moses to arrive. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. So Moses is the mediator, the he God tells Moses, and Moses tell the people. And that's how it's been the whole time. So I'm going to speak to you, and then you go tell the people. So this tells me that Moses was pretty, in pretty good shape. Up the mountain and down the mountain. Up the mountain and down the mountain. And here it goes. Okay, come on up here, Moses. I got to talk to you again. Okay. And then he goes back down the mountain to talk to the people. So God had spoken to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and made this unilateral covenant with Abraham. It means one way. God did it. It wasn't a conditional thing. Unilateral. In Genesis chapter 12, when God called uh, Abram, the Lord said to him, get out of your country from your family. And from your father's house to a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the promise that God made to Abram. Land, descendants, and a blessing to all the families on the earth. So Isaac... Became the son of promise. And Abraham kind of argued with God about that one. How's that going to happen? What's going on? We don't have a child. So Abraham continually, God continually reassured Abraham. You know, he, he was he was wrestling with this promise, as we all do with many of the things that God promised that seemed like impossible. We wrestle with that. Abraham was no different. So God all along the way is reassuring him, hey, this is going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. Give him a little more detail. No, it's going to be your son, not Hagar's. It's through your seed that this, they will come and so it gets to the point where Abram's a hundred years old Sarah's like 90 and they still don't have a child and so he says let Ishmael live before you God said no Ishmael is going to be blessed but it's through Isaac that your seed shall be called and sure enough God did it so Isaac was the son of promise Jacob was the heir of that promise Jacob became Israel, and so Israel's descendants became the nation that God was talking about that was going to bless the whole world, and today it's no different. Israel is God's blessing to the world, even though the devil doesn't like that, and a lot of other nations don't either, but God promised many things to the nation Israel that he is working out for his glory and for his promises to become fully uh, taken care of. So he speaks to Abraham many times concerning these promises. He establishes righteousness before God through Abraham's faith. So in Genesis 15, key chapter, where God's reasserting to Abraham. And in Genesis 15 and verse 4, we read, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Talking about Isaac. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And here it is, key verse, and he believed the Lord and he counted to him for righteousness. He believed what God told him. It is no different, my friends, for the new covenant. Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant, the new covenant, we believe what God promised through his son. And we are the recipients of this incredible thing called salvation relationship. So, in this chapter, in Genesis 15, it says, It came to pass in verse 17 when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. So, Abraham was told by God to get these, get these different animals, split them in two, and then God puts Abraham to sleep. It has nothing to do with what's going on. And then the smoking torch goes between the pieces, the sacrifice. And that was God ratifying this covenant based on sacrifice. A unilateral promise to Abraham that he was going to do what he said. So the the covenant itself was God's initiating unilateral one way. God did it. In Romans chapter 4, key chapter, as far as these things concerning righteousness, being right with God. In Romans 4, what then shall we say that Abraham our father is found concerning the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God, you know, (laughs) Can we ever boast before God? Not before God. Hold on a second. He may be a wonderful man doing a lot of good things, but as far as righteousness, as far as being right with God, it wasn't through his works. He wasn't justified by works. For what does the scripture say? Here it is, Genesis 15. Abraham believed the Lord and he accounted to him for righteousness. That, my friends, is the basis that God is establishing even now as far as our righteousness with him salvation with him, redemption through what he has provided. In Romans four thirteen. for the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through what? The law, but through right, the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, I'm laying some things out here. I got uh, a lot of things that I say, man, I'd like to talk. The, the basic uh, thing I want to bring out this morning is there was an Abrahamic covenant. There's now going to be a Sin- Sinaitic covenant called the law. And we, I, it's so important. God spent a lot of time in the scriptures in this area of the law. And it's for our benefit that he can speak to us, that he can meet with us, and that we can know him. We have to understand how this works. So with accounting for righteousness, he believed God. Believe God's promises. So this relationship with the house of Jacob, with the children of Israel, leading up to Sinai, was the Abrahamic covenant. And through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God was relating to them through that. So in Exodus 2.24, the beginning of the, of the book, God heard their groanings. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Exodus chapter 6, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. So it was a growing relationship with God. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. So God's desire all the way along has not changed. To speak to them, to meet with them, that they might know him. My friends, that has never changed. God is desiring a relationship with us to speak to us, to meet with us, that we might know him. And were God not to initiate that, it would never happen. Were God not to provide for our relationship with him, it would never happen through ourselves. We are sinners lost in our sin. So it says here, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians for you. I destroyed your enemies and delivered you from their bondage. That's what I did for you. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, there's a beautiful little few verses about Jacob. It says, for the, Lord's portion is to his, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland. A howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. I'm just thinking, is that not true of us also? As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on, their, on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign god. There was nothing. It was God and Jacob. My friends, that's us, encircling us. The little eaglet must learn to fly. So the mother stirs up the nest and basically kicks the little one out. The mother lets it fall and at the last minute swoops under it to take it up. Now, did you know all the other birds of prey carry their young in their talons? God kicks them out. She takes the little one back to the nest and says, the next flight departs in five minutes. <laughs> because that eaglet of hers needs to learn how to fly. And that's, you know, the hard places. Those things that happen are intended to lead us to God. To experience The wonderfulness of his wings. Scripture always breaks my heart. Underneath are the everlasting arms. You can never go deeper. Well, God's going to lift you up. It says next flight leaves in two days. That's the Lord. That's what it was with Jacob. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How else are we going to know him? Usually God gets the back seat or the passenger side, until something happens. And then we're, we're wrestling, okay, we're, we're going to give up the steering wheel. I wrestle with that anyway. We cry out to God on the way down. He lifts us up. That was Jacob. That's what God did for Jacob. Isaiah chapter 40, some of you know it well. Why, why do you say, oh, Jacob... And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is past. God's not seeing. Why do you say God doesn't know? God's not seeing. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But... (laughs) Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount on the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Take it in. Oh, to fly with God. To be kept by Him. To be encircled by Him. And He's the same with Jacob as He is with us. And so He says, You've seen what I did, and now. I want to do more. There's so much more that I have for you, O Israel, O Jacob. And so, as he, he's saying this to them, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, God, you know, listen, God's not trying something new here in that sense. It's not like God's saying, well, it might work. If, it, if they do, it might work. Uh, it's, it's not halftime. We're coach God saying, we've got to adjust the plans. We're getting killed out there. No, this is something that God did because he's saying to us as well as them, I have more for you. I want you to know me more. How? Through the law. How does that work? That's what we want to talk about over these next few weeks. This thing called the covenant, the law, the covenant of love, the covenant of law, the covenant God desires, the covenant God designed. And the covenant that God now is going to dedicate for his people to speak to them, to meet with them, and that they might know him. That's God's heart toward us as we look at these things. If you obey my voice. So this is not some, like, game that God's playing to try, or if that works. No, this is strategically divine. It takes up a lot of the scriptures for us so that God can speak to us, meet with us, and we might know him. What a fantastic thing our God is. Fantastic. So indeed, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a... So it's this big if then that God says. His desire is for his people to be a special treasure above all people. His desires, they become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If then, all the people, all the priests, all of them priests, all of them holy in the sight of God. Peter picks this up for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Coming to him, capital H, that is Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice, acceptable to God, how? Through Jesus Christ. Therefore, is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious." But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. God gave his word. This is how it works. This is how it happens. This is who I am. But you, take it in, my fellow believers, you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is it not wonderful to walk in light? Called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his own dear son who once were not a people but are now the people of God. Unilaterally, God through Jesus Christ has done this for us It's ours who had not obtained mercy but have now obtained mercy. Wow. And God takes so much time to solidify what we need to know to know him. What we need to understand when he speaks to us. We need to understand in meeting with him who he is, and communicating that. And so here, he's saying, you see, I now desire so much more, so now I give you this if-then, if-then, the law. The Abrahamic covenant was unconditional, unilateral. The Mosaic covenant was conditional and temporary. What were the terms of the covenant? We'll be getting into this, but let me go to Exodus 34, 27. The Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Now this is incredible. He didn't have a secretary. It's him and God for 40 days. And notice what it says there. He neither ate bread nor drank water. It's a miraculous interaction. It's spiritual. It's supernatural. God giving to him these things of the covenant, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant. What is it? The Ten Commandments. And all that meant. Forty years later, Moses reminded the people in Deuteronomy 4, so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The basis of God's covenant with Moses were the commandments. The Ten Commandments. What's happened here? God is furthering his relationship with his specially chosen redeemed people that they might know him. He's going further. He's furthering the relationship by giving them this Sinaitic covenant. And it's not only for them, but for us also. And that's what we're going to be looking at. And there's so many, things. we could put a lot of studies into this. Understanding the purpose of the law and taking that as God's gift that we might hear him, meet with him, and know him. It's fantastic. If you want some other reading, go to Romans. Go to Galatians. Go to Hebrews. Packed. In fact, in Romans alone, 67 times the law. Galatians, 28 times the law. Hebrews, 12 times the law. Not always the law of Moses, but the law. Speaking of this principle of law and the law of God, The covenant, the Mosaic covenant. He's furthering their relationship with them through this. Romans 3. I'll give you a couple. Romans 3. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law, here it is, is the knowledge of sin. So the law was given to reveal sin to sinners. Romans 7, I was once alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment was to bring life, I'm thinking, I found, to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Nothing wrong with the law. The problem is my heart. The problem is understanding what's going on between In my heart, as God sees it, as God takes care of it through the covenant, the law, and the sacrificial system, the priesthood, was God saying, this is how I'm going to take care of your desire. And they had the desire to hear from me, to meet with me, and to know me. It's a huge picture. The substance is Jesus Christ. The shadow are all these things that we're going to start studying. It's incredible what God has done to communicate something so hard because we're sinners, so veiled to our sinful nature, our pride, and all those things. Galatians chapter 3, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So God added it to show us our need for forgiveness to show us the need we have for sacrifice, to show us the need we have for the blood to take care of my guilt and my sin. Galatians again, but before faith came, we were kept under, the, under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would after be real. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So sort of like the teacher. The law can teach us. And, under, and this, this covenant, these 10 commandments and, the, and all that came with it, Hebrews 7, 19, for, this, for the law was made, made nothing perfect. Now let me ask you a question. How many times have you sought by some kind of righteous endeavor, now I'm good with God? God now loves me. God now accepts me. God's now smiling. My friends, God loves you. God smiles upon you. God wants to meet with you, speak with you. God wants you to know him apart from anything you can add to make that happen. Now, you try and assimilate that. You trying to? it's like this amazing, amazing thing. And the law of the covenant is just as amazing. The law is holy and the commandment good and righteous and just. The law exposes what my need is really in my heart for a savior. Hebrews chapter 9. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you, the blood of the covenant. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and and all the vessels of the ministry, and according to the law, almost all things are purified. According to the law, almost all things are purified by blood. Without shedding blood, there is no remission. So this thing called the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 24, we'll get to this. Moses came and told the people all the words of the law, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, said, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. Sounds great. Then he took the book of the covenant, and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Now this is, th- this is in chapter 24. Earlier, in Deuteronomy 5, 28, the Chronicle there, the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to you, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to. They are right in all they have spoken. In other words, they really had a desire to know God. That wasn't the issue. They wanted to know God. They wanted to hear from God. They wanted to meet with God. And God acknowledged that. It's good. But then, we, we, listen, God had no illusion. Well, maybe I'll try this and see if it can make him righteous. He had no illusions about that. In fact, in that Deuteronomy passage, the Lord heard the voice Then it says in verse 29 of Deuteronomy chapter 5, Oh, that they had such a heart that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children. So God's saying, oh, that it would just so. It wasn't so because of sin. The law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the hearts. Our hearts need God. We need God to speak to us. We need God to meet with us. We need God to, that, for him that we might know him. And this law thing is God now saying, I have more for you, for his child, the children of Israel. I, I want you to know me. And so he says in verse 10, then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, let them wash their clothes. Listen, God is pure and undefiled. He is is perfect, pure, undefiled. God is holy and separate from sinners. So in verse 11, and let them be ready for the third day. In other words, you don't just kind of, well, wake up, oh, oh, God's coming today. No, no, three days. You get ready. You prepare because God is holy and separate from sinners. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live when the trumpet sounds long and they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, sanctified the people and they washed their clothes and he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wife. Now you've got to to understand something here. God wants to meet with you. God wants to speak to you. God wants you to know him, but he's holy and separate from sinners. And that needs to be taken captive if you will and here's three days three days so they're, they're going to have their calendar out don't go near your you, you get your eyes God's coming and here's a, another thought he's not only pure and undefiled he's not a holy and separate from sinners but God is to be feared the fear of God is mentioned in the Bible many times it's the beginning of wisdom God is to be feared I remember a long time ago, David Hawking, who was a well-known Bible teacher down in in California, he he was giving a study on this, you know, fear God. He said, you know, I looked up that word fear, and I found out the Greek and the Hebrew and all that, and you know what fear means? Fear God. (laughs) Be afraid of God. I thought of the word God's dangerous if approached in the wrong way, and God is to be feared because he's God. Anyone that can kind of glibly sort of blow God off, I go, I shudder. In fact, I've talked about that documentary that was on. And these young guys are going, well, if God's that and God's this, then he's not my God. I'm going, whoa. Whether you like it or not, he's God. Holy and separate from sinners. He's to be feared of all. In fact, Jesus said, don't fear him who kills the body, those who can kill the body. But afterward, they can't do anything. Once you're dead, they can't do anything. But fear him who, once you're dead, he can send you to hell. That's Jesus. Said. Fear God. Fear Him. Our lives are in His hands. The very breath that we breathe comes from Him. We are nothing. If God were to sort of take His hand off something, we would all just blow up. But it says in Christ all things are held together. God's got His hand on us, God's got His wings out for us, but He is holy. And he is to be feared. So it came to pass, verse 16, on the third day in the morning, there were thunderings and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountains and the sound of the trumpet. Now God's not sort of, well, let me show you what I can. No, this is God in presence on the mountain. These thunderings and lightnings and thick cloud and the sound of the trumpet was very loud. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, so he put us there. And the fire, the smoke, I mean the whole mountain shaking. The people, you think, of people, oh well this is cool. Fireworks, 4th of July. No, this is God. God what a wonderful thing to bow before him who is so majestic and powerful it says then Moses Moses spoke and God answered him by voice then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up would you not have loved to be watching that I read J. Vernon McGee's commentary. There are some people who think that the giving of the law was a beautiful event. Years ago, a very cultured and refined Southern lady said to me, Mr. McGee, don't you think the giving of the law was a beautiful, lovely thing? I think I shocked her (laughs) when I replied, I don't see anything beautiful in it. It was a frightful and terrifying thing. This is not beautiful, it's dreadful, unquote. Exodus chapter 20, we'll get it next week. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoky. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off, and they said to Moses, you speak with us. You, you, talk, but let you, you go talk to God. We'll hear it, but let not God speak unless we die. I mean, we're talking about the spirit of the living God present on earth, the presence on earth, and the people, rightfully so, are scared out of their wits. Which brings me to this final, who God is. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is long-suffering. And God is patient. In, the, in verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, you go down and warn the people. This is the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. Warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord. You know, curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity would appeal the whole kind. <laughs> oh, let well, see, see. No, they weren't in that place. But God's saying, you go down and warn them, don't, don't. Oh, well, because, you know, you, you're there for a long time. All of a sudden, you get used to the thunderings, the lightnings, the noises. And all, oh, I think I'm going to go check this out. God's saying, don't do it. Also, let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said, Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For you warned us, saying, set bounds about the mount, around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, away, get down. And he knew their hearts. He knew, and then, he says, come up, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. God saying, reminding, warning. God's warnings are from his grace and mercy and kindness. Because he could have wiped us out. In fact, I also why ask, why God doesn't wipe us out? I love this, in, and I've put it in sermons before. C.S. Lewis, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Quote, this is, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh," said Susan. "I thought he was. I, I. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. Safe," said Mister Beaver. "Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king." Shh. It's interesting. The lion and the lamb. The lion and the lamb. God's desire is to speak to you, to meet with you, that you might know him. He's given to us all things. In Hebrews, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us. How? Through his son. You see, God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and ultimately through his son Jesus, was fulfilled so masterfully, miraculously, perfectly mercifully, so that anyone who wants to hear can. Anyone who wants to meet with God can. Anyone who wants to know God can, because God made it possible. And so it says there, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, listen, by himself purged our sins, he did it unconditionally by himself purged our sins. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become so much better than the angels. Angels couldn't do it. As he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When I think of Revelation, the book of Revelation, seated in majesty, It's interesting because when you read the book of Revelation, you get the same phenomena going on in heaven now. Thunderings, lightnings, voices. A throne, Jesus enthroned, God's throne. And I saw a throne in the midst. It was like an emerald. And so John in Revelation is given this task by God to write the things you've seen. And send it to the seven churches in the to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to the Pergamus, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia. You send these letters to the churches because I'm searching the churches. I'm saying, he who has ears to let him hear, repent. God had messaged it. He wanted the church to hear what he was saying now that he's exalted. And so he gives this revelation to John. And as you read through, particularly the first five chapters, when, when the six is when it start opening up those seals on the on the. On the uh, but I believe is a, a title deed to the earth. So one through five, you get these incredible pictures that John was witnessing having the same Mount Sinai phenomena. And so it says in Revelation, I mean, the revelation Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things must shortly take place. And he sent and signified by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. And he says, blessed are you who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So God is saying, I want to speak to you. I want to meet with you. I want you to know me, to the church of the firstborn, registered in heaven. So it says, John, the seven churches of Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and who is, who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus is center in the finale of what God started way back when man first fell, is Jesus exalted. It's incredible. This is God's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Blessed you read. So, John to the seven churches. Behold, he's coming with clouds. But notice what it says And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, and made us kings and priests to our God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We believe in Jesus. Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because, because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the islands called Patmos, for the revelation of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on Lord's day and I heard behind me a voice, a loud voice and a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first line. What you see, write in a book, send it to the seven churches. Then I turned, God said, to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to his feet. His head and hair were, like, were white like wool, as white as snow. His feet were like fine brass refined in a furnace. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet, his eyes... He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And John said, I fell at his feet as dead. But he put his right hand on me and saying to me, Do not be afraid. I'm the Alpha and I'm the first and last. I was alive and I was dead, but I'm alive again. And then Jesus said, Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So John, write. Write to these churches. Tell them. I want to speak to them. I want to meet with them. I want them to know me. And then you get over to Re- if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Revelation, do you mind? Good, Okay after these things, Revelation 4, after these things, the churches, after these things, chapters 2 and 3. I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice was like a trumpet speaking to me and saying, come up here and I'll show you things which must take place. After this, immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he who sat on the throne was like a sardius a jasper in appearance. There's a rainbow around the throne like a, ra- there's a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And on, the, and on the throne, John goes on to write. Around the throne, there were 24 elders. And I saw, I saw 24 elders, and they were clothed in white garments. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. Before the throne, was, there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne, there were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. First creature was like a lion. Second creature, like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature, like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, he's having six wings, full of eyes and round and within. They do not cease saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sat on the throne, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before him who sat on the throne and worshipped him who sat on the throne, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy. Receive glory, honor, and power, because you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written, sealed with soul, sealed in front and in back. See, John's witnessing Mount Sinai in heaven, if you will. God's presence in heaven, but the glory there is Jesus-centered to it. And so he sees a scroll sealed with seven seals. And then he saw a strong angel speaking with a loud voice Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one on earth or no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look at it. So I wept much, John said, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders came to me and said, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God before the throne of God, sent down to all the earth. And then he came, Jesus. He took the scroll out of the right hand of he who sat on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before him, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, because you were you slain and redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Can you dig it? This is John. He's saying it. Brothers and sisters, God has not changed. He is the same yesterday. Today and forever. His his desire has always been the covenant relationship that he wants to establish from him to us to speak to us, to meet with us, that we might know him. So no one has seen God at any time. He only got in the Father. Jesus, he has revealed him. He's spoken to us. He sent Jesus for us. So I say, praise be to the Lord our God and to Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. We have this relationship with God because of what he did for us. And if anything, I could leave you with as I speak to myself. We have to continue to believe God. To count us for righteousness. Believe his promises. Believe the gospel. Believe that what he has said he will do, he is doing and will complete in your life and my life. But it does begin with the if then. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then all these things come with him. If God so demonstrated his love for us, if God gave us his gift of his son, how much more shall he not with him give us all things? So I close, we close as believers in this room. Those are online. If you bow your heads and just pray right now. Because some of you, maybe online, maybe someone here, maybe more, have not come to that if then with God. If you will obey the gospel, then God has promised to you salvation, forgiveness. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So the gospel is very simple, and we would just be plant praying. As I pray here, if that's you this morning, and you don't know you have not repented, if you're an unbeliever, it's one simple acknowledgement that brings you from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. The acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is the way the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him, but through him and in him are all things that pertain to life and godliness, and that's you. And just those here in this room, if there's, if you're here in need to receive Christ, it's, it's a helpful thing. If you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm just gonna pray for you. We're gonna be praying for you if that's you. If you've not made that decision. You've not asked Christ Jesus to forgive you. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Your need is no different than mine was and ours is. You need Jesus. We're staying in the attitude of prayer just for another minute. So, Lord, we're going to trust you, your word, the gospel. And now we want to rise and worship you for who you are, all that you've done for us. Receive, Lord, our praises, as, as Peter said, praises to you in closing this time together. In Jesus' name, would you stand?